as we continue on in God's Word, as we're looking through the book of Exodus, looking at this story of redemption. And just a reminder of where we are as I, I got a chance to listen to and look through the notes that Kenny preached through last week, looking at manna from heaven and, and how everything in this story in Exodus is is reminding us of where we are as believers in Christ, that we have a bread that has come down from heaven, a bread that doesn't just feed us for a day, but a bread that is the bread of life found in Jesus Christ. And reminding us that what God has done is He's given us this really, really great picture of what redemption life looks like for us. So where we are in the story is this, we're in the wilderness. And let's not forget that we're in the wilderness, because it's really going to be really necessary for us to understand how God is the provider in the midst of the wilderness. God has brought His people out of slavery. He's brought them out of bondage. He's brought them out of Egypt. He's taken them through the Red Sea. And He's now brought them into the wilderness as a, as a place of testing, a, a place where they're, they're going to be taught. They're going to be made holy. They're going to be made into His people. They're going to encounter Him and His provision there before He takes them to the Promised Land, the place where He's promised that He will be with them and uh, and He will be their God and they will be His people and that He's going to rule and reign over them. He, he's, he's preparing them for the place that He's taking them. And we're in that same boat, that we as believers in Christ, if we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, we've been brought out of bondage, out of slavery, we've been redeemed and rescued. We've been taken through the waters, and now we're in the wilderness awaiting the home that God has promised to us. We're, we're awaiting heaven. We're awaiting this new heavens and this new earth. And so every last one of us as believers is in the wilderness. Every last one of us is in this in-between state. This We know we've been redeemed. We're just not experiencing all of it yet. We want all that God has promised us and it's going to come in heaven when we're with Him. So Exodus up to this point, we're understanding that Exodus is history, but it's so much more than that. And the story of God providing in the wilderness is a reminder to us to, to test us, to try us, to teach us that God is the provider. Because remember, where are we? In the wilderness. So, so let's make sure we understand that. What grows in the wilderness? Not a whole lot. That's why they call it the wilderness. Okay? So in the wilderness, bread isn't popping up everywhere. Right? In the wilderness, you're not finding enough for a couple million people to eat. You're in the wilderness. How are you going to eat? God's going to have to provide. And so what does He do? He provides. He provides quail in the evening. He provides manna in the morning so that His people will survive. And He does it, He says, as a test, to test them to see if they'll obey Him, if they'll trust Him enough to obey Him. And the same test is true for us today as God's people. The question is, as God provides for us, are we learning to trust Him? As God provides for us in the wilderness, in this time where if we're honest and we're aware, nothing good could be accomplished by us apart from the power of God. We would have nothing good unless God gave it to us. If in the wilderness right now, we have all these good gifts that God has given us, are we... Are we being tested right now whether we're going to obey Him and trust Him? And are we passing the test? Are we passing the test? That's the question for us today as we look at the end of chapter 16. Up till this point in chapter 16, manna has come down in the morning. And they're supposed to go gather up enough for the day. And it's not supposed to last until tomorrow. Tomorrow, worms and stinky stuff happens, right? 
So gather up enough for today. Eat it today. If it's left over, it's stinky worms. Okay? But on the sixth day, gather enough for two days. In fact, it seems that from the language, what God may have been doing is doubling up the amount of manna per square inch so that it's just as easy to gather, but you're going to have twice as much. That's pretty great. That's the provision of God. So that you don't go out on the the seventh day, the Sabbath day. And that's where we are in this story. See, even in his provision, the Lord is teaching and testing his people. Deuteronomy chapter 8 seems to back this up. At the end of the 40 years of wandering, this jaunt through the wilderness, God says through Moses these words. Deuteronomy chapter 8. You shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. That he might humble you testing you to know what was in your heart. Everything in the wilderness for us is testing us to see what's in our heart, to humble us, to remind us that He is God and we are not, whether you would keep His commandments or not. And He humbled you, and He let you hunger, and He fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that He might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you and your foot did not swell these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. God wants us to trust him. And the way he leads us into trust is by providing for us. Isn't that gracious of him? That he would want us to trust him. So in order to get us to trust him, he doesn't just go, trust me. That's kind of what we do as parents, right? A lot of times, just trust me. Just, just trust me. It's for your good. Just trust me. It's for your good. But God is so good to us, He doesn't just say, trust me, it's for your good. He provides for us. And what's our response? Our response is, well, it's all over chapter 16. And they grumbled, and they grumbled, and they grumbled, and they grumbled, and they grumbled some more, and they grumbled some more. And Moses is like, why are you grumbling to me? And God's like, they're not really grumbling against you. They're grumbling against me and Moses is like it sure sounds like they're grumbling against me Moses and Aaron are getting together talking about the grumblers while they grumble we're just a bunch of grumblers no matter how good God is in the middle of the wilderness we're still grumbling this is the this is the sanctification process this is how God is making us holy and I want today to see you to see this great truth as, as God is leading us to trust Him that sanctification, this process that happens in the wilderness of us being made holy and being made more like Jesus is not first a behavior issue, it's a trust issue. You, you see, it's not just about what you do, it's about the heart. If you, if you fast forward to the New Testament, the Pharisees got the behavior down, but their hearts were far from God. They had all the outward appearance of behavior, but their hearts were far from God. See, being made holy, being made like Jesus, being made into the image of God, remade in His image, is not first an issue of behavior, it's a change in trust. And we need to be aware of that. We need to be walking in that truth that sanctification is not first a change of behavior, it's a change of trust. And so that's where we come now in chapter 16. Look at verse 22. On the sixth day... They gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. 
Bake what you will bake, and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till morning. That in and of itself is a miracle that it would last till the next day because it wasn't supposed to. It wasn't designed for that except for on the sixth day. This is how God is providing. So they laid it aside till the morning as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. Moses said, Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, Brad and some people went out to gather. Now just go ahead and put your, go ahead, admit it. You're one of the people who got up on the Sabbath, the, the first Sabbath day, and you were like, I gotta go get some bread. It's time to get the manna. Time to make the donuts, right? Whatever it may be. You went out to work, not quite trusting the Lord was gonna provide that there was enough from yesterday for today, because every other morning you had leftovers, it had worms and it stank, right? Now, what do I do? I get up in the morning and I go out, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord is giving you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Now the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Moses said, This is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness. Remind yourselves constantly that God is the provider. This is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations so they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, Take a jar, put an omer of manna in it, and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. And the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate the manna forty years till they came to a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. And omer is the tenth part of an ephah. So here we have God dictating not just here's how I'm going to provide for you and you should see my glory in it, but he's also saying I'm going to give you another gift and that gift is rest. I'm going to provide enough for you that you don't have to worry about one day out of the week. But what do we do with that one day out of the week? What am I not getting done today? Can I really rest in the Lord? Anybody else here right now checking through their checklist of things you need to do when you get out of here? It's really easy to get caught up in that, isn't it? Because this is the way of the world. This is what it looks like to be people in the world is we're caught in the rat race. We're caught in the the grinding of our souls into dust by the never-ending work and toil. This is what it is to be in a fallen world is to live in that reality. But God is making us holy, changing us from people who are toiling is toiling into people who are trusting. You see, if you read through the text in, in verses 4 through 8, we see that God gave manna so that the people could see His glory and provision. He says in verse 4 that, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people at evening, You shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? The Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to be full because the Lord has heard your grumbling. 
that you grumble against him. What are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. It's as if God is looking at them and going, you will know that I am the Lord when you wake up in the morning and there's manna on the ground. You'll see my glory. You know, the last time he said things like that was in Egypt. You will know that I am the Lord when I turn the Nile into blood. You will know that I am the Lord when the gnats are driving you nuts. You will know that I am the Lord. What a, what a gracious gift from God that now as His people He's saying, you will know that I am the Lord when I give you food and I give you enough food so you can rest. This is what it looks like to be the people of God. This is the gracious gift of God. And not only that, it tasted good. Do you understand how gracious God is that He makes food taste good? Like it literally doesn't have to taste like anything, but He gives it taste. It's like coriander seed is white, and what happens when you cook it? It tastes like honey. We're talking about graham crackers here, folks. I love graham crackers. <laughs> We're like literally talking about graham crackers touched with honey. I mean, it doesn't get much better than that. This is what God is doing. He's, he's not just giving them food. He's giving them food that tastes good. He's a gracious God. Well, what is he really doing here? He's, he's helping them realize that he is the only one who can provide for their needs and they need to learn to trust him. Manna was given so that the people could see God's glory and provision. But then he gives another gift. He gives the Sabbath. And the Sabbath was given to see if the people would trust the Lord enough to obey him. Are they going to go out on the seventh day and gather? Are they going to go out and, and feel like they've got to get for themselves? Or are they going to trust that I'm going to provide for them? That this idea of this Sabbath and the seventh day, it goes all the way back to creation. Remember how God created the world? He created the world in six days, and on the seventh, He, he rested. This is the Sabbath day. This is what's set apart. The Sabbath day is not a law that God established at Sinai when He gave the Ten Commandments. The Sabbath day is something God instituted at creation, and it's been a part of His design and plan for humanity and for this creation since the beginning. Sin corrupted that. The fall corrupted that. The curse on the ground corrupted that. So that now we're in this endless cycle of grinding ourselves into the ground, returning to dust. But God has always designed rest that we would rest in Him. Remember remember the seventh day, what happened? Days one through six, and there was evening and there was morning the first day. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. There was evening and there was morning the third day, right? Day seven, evening and morning? No evening and morning, because this was a perpetual rest now that God has finished creating. He's no longer creating. He is now ruling. He's now reigning. He's the sovereign of all. And He wants us to live in that reality. And look back at verses 4 through 8. I love this. This is what happens in verse 6. Moses and Aaron said to all the people, At evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning... You shall see the glory of the Lord. It's as if they're even hearkening back to those first chapters of Genesis, reminding us that God is doing the work here so that you can rest. God is doing the work. He's the only one who can provide. And the Sabbath is given to, to see if we'll trust Him, to see if we'll trust Him enough to obey Him. God is at work in His people, in the world, to reestablish, to, to rebuild, to remake, to recreate what He what he created in the garden. And so we're called to trust him. Being made holy does not start with changing your behavior. It starts with changing your trust. Who are you going to trust? 
You can change all kinds of behavior and never trust God. Lots of people who are good people in your life do not know Jesus Christ. They do good things. They can change their behavior. They can go through 12-step programs. They can do all kinds of things to change their behavior, but trust is a different thing. Faith is a different thing altogether. And we're called, if we're going to be like Christ, it's going to come by faith. And so what does God give? He gives the Sabbath as a test. He gives the Sabbath as a gift. He gives the Sabbath to us so that we can trust the Lord. And I want you to see that today. The Sabbath is a gift. It's a gift to teach us of God's provision. The Sabbath day that we have is a gift. And look at verse 29 of chapter 16. See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. You have the Sabbath because He gave it to you. You have rest because He gave it to you. He completed work so that you can rest. Therefore, on the sixth day, He gives you bread for two days. He gives you manna. He gives you bread for two days so that you can rest on the seventh day. That's, that's good news. It's a gift. It's a gift that teaches us that God provides. And yet, what are we doing right now in our minds? What am I doing right now in my mind? What, what will I have a tendency to do on a day that's set apart from God, for God that I'm supposed to be resting in Him and reveling in the fact that He's the God who provides everything? I'm thinking about what I've got to do this week. I'm going through the checklist. Did I get that done? But the Sabbath is a gift. It's a gift to teach us that God and God alone provides. Charles Spurgeon puts it this way. He defined trust as absolute rest of the whole soul. And this rest is what God is offering us in the Sabbath. You see, ever since mankind's fall into sin and the curse of sin and death coming down in the Garden of Eden, mankind has been locked in this hopeless cycle of never-ending toil and work with no rest. But God... God is remaking that truth in His people. This wasn't God's design. Mankind, apart from God, has been working to provide for Himself, unaware of God's provision, unaware of His glorious design, unaware of His miraculous daily bread that He gives. What we tend to do is we we tend, instead of praying, give us this day our daily bread, we think like I sometimes think. I can afford bread. I don't really need God to give me bread. Maybe I should just ask God for bigger things than bread. Now, not everybody in the world can afford bread. I know a lot of you, you can afford bread. Bread isn't the first thing on your prayer list. You don't wake up in the morning going, God, give us today our daily bread, because you're like, it's probably molding because we didn't eat it. Maybe it's manna. I don't know. You get what I'm saying? We have it in the... We have it in, over there in the pantry. We don't need bread. God, I don't need to ask you for bread. I can earn bread. I want to make sure you understand this. You don't get bread unless God gives you bread. I don't get bread unless God gives me bread. No matter how hard I work, I don't get bread unless God gives me bread. It's a gift. I need to be reminded of that. I live in the wilderness. There is no good gift that I get that it does not come from the hand of God. I didn't earn it. It's a gift. And that gift is meant to help me, to test me, to teach me to trust Him. But instead, we just keep working for more bread. 
See, in Egypt, this had really come to a head for the people of God. They were being ground into dust by the work of their hands, being pummeled and beaten by Pharaoh and his minions. But now in the wilderness, here in the middle of the wilderness, having been redeemed and rescued from this hopeless slavery, here God is inviting his people to rediscover rest. When Pharaoh was confronted with God, he said, make them work harder. When God comes before his people, he says, you can rest. That's the difference between God and the world. That's the difference between our king and the kings of this world. Here in the wilderness, he's inviting us, inviting his people to rediscover rest, to rediscover that he provides, to rediscover that he provides completely, that he's the giver of daily bread. He's the giver of rest. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. That's what Jesus says in Mark chapter 2. He says this, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. He says, I didn't, I didn't make man to keep the law of the Sabbath. I made the Sabbath for you. The Sabbath is a gift. And he says, So I am the Lord of the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is even, Lord even of the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a gift to teach us of God's provision. But the Sabbath is a holy gift. I want you to see that as well. Look at verse 23 of chapter 16. He said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. It's, it's set apart. It's supposed to be different than every other day. I would say this. If the day you come to worship the Lord with other believers looks like every other day in your life, you're doing it wrong. If you're like, I can give an hour... You're doing it wrong. It's supposed to look different. I'm not saying that getting dressed up looks different. Like, if you know me, the shoe shoe thing is no different. Every day, it's just a different pair of shoes. Just the way it works. Like, I'll get dressed up anytime. I I love clothes. So, it's not getting dressed up and putting on our best. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying, what does your heart look like on a Sunday? What does your heart look like on a day where you're setting apart that time for the Lord? Is Is it different than the rest of your day? Or the rest of the days of your week? Are you thinking, like, this is a time holy and set apart to the Lord? Because this is a Sabbath day. This rest is supposed to be solemn and holy to the Lord. He says, bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. And then they're to eat it today, for today, verse 25, is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. The Sabbath is a holy gift, and what it does is it marks us out as God's people. When we, when we keep the Sabbath, when we keep resting, when we, when we come before the Lord and we say, I've worked and now I have a day of rest. I've worked and I'm trusting you. I've worked and I'm honoring you. I've worked and I'm glorifying you. I've worked and I'm resting in you. We're marked out as very different than the rest of the world. You see that, right? Back in these days, in, in Exodus days, there was no culture on the planet that took a Sabbath rest. Everybody just kept on working Everybody's just grinding themselves into the ground. How different are we meant to be? It's meant to be a holy day. We're meant to be holy and set apart. And the way we rest demonstrates that we are God's people. This is unique to God's people. While others are endlessly toiling, God calls His people to remember they were designed for ultimate rest in His provision and in His care. We are marked out as God's people as we learn to rest in Him. Psalm 127 says, It is in vain, this is Solomon writing, that you rise up early and go late to rest, 
eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. I stink at this. I'm really bad at it. Like this week, literally, a couple of nights, I just sat up worrying about what I had to do the next day. I was like, slept for an hour and a half. Anybody else? Please make me feel better about myself right now. This is not just Brad confession time, right? He'll sit there and I'll, I'll concern myself with everything else and not rest in the fact that God has provided everything that I need. But He gives to His beloved sleep. Those of us who trust Him, when you come to trust Him, the more you trust Him, the more you're able to rest in Him. The more you're able to find comfort in Him and in His provision. Isn't that what Jesus promised in Matthew chapter 11? Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. That would be everybody, right? Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is the fulfillment of this rest that's promised, and we can go to him and find rest as we trust him. We are marked out as godly people as we learn to rest in him. We're marked out as godly people, not just God's people, but godly people. The more we learn to rest in Him and revel in how good He is and how He provides for us, the more godly we become, the more righteous we become, the more like Christ we become. See, the problem with the Israelite people is they kept grumbling. They kept going out on the Sabbath day to get more food. They, came, they didn't rest. They didn't trust Him. They, they have already complained about water. Then they're going to complain about food. And he's going to give them food, and what, what are they going to do next? Just flip over real quick to chapter 17. Guess what's next? Well, we'll go back to complaining about water again. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm Moses. I'm carrying a big stick. Somebody, God says, strike the rock, and I'm like, can I just strike him? With a... At some point, like patience is running out, and there's this grumbling that keeps coming up. But here's what happens. The more we trust that God is the provider and trust that the gifts He's giving us are good and that He is good, the more we rest in Him and we become like the people He's designed us to be. But in Hebrews chapter 4, we're told this, There does remain a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever enters that rest has also rested from his works as God did. So let us strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. See, the people of Israel, they fell and they didn't get into the promised land. This generation kept grumbling. This generation didn't trust. This generation didn't honor the Lord. They didn't believe and obey. And they didn't get into the land. It was promising them ultimate rest as God's people and as godly people. But as we trust God, the evidence of that trust is, is really reveling in His provision. When we can come before the Lord and we can, we can thank Him that every gift that I have, every, every benefit that I have, every good thing in my life is a gift that comes from Him and I can revel in that and rest in that. And that the one who gives good gifts is also the one who provides my every need. I can trust Him. Psalm 95 tells us, Your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. Have you, have you not seen God work for you and for your good? So why do we keep testing Him by acting like He doesn't? By grumbling that He doesn't? By saying, well, you gave me a gift. I'm not sure it's the gift I wanted. Not a big fan of honey-tasting things. Can we go cinnamon next time, God? Like, you're going to give me graham crackers. I'd rather have the chocolate ones. 
I mean, you see how silly we sound, right? And you know it if you're a parent because your children have done this to you. Everybody, go ahead, look at each other and go, oh, yeah. They're not in here. It's fine. They don't see it. It's one of the reasons we send them to the back, okay? We don't want them to see your disappointment. No, I'm just kidding. No, but but you, you give good gifts and your kids go, but, 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 I wanted. Right? Welcome to parenthood, right? When we have a Father in Heaven who is giving us every good gift and we go, not my favorite flavor. I really wanted the purple one. Anybody else heard that one? This is the grumbling of the, of the heart that doesn't trust the Lord, but instead trusts that we deserve something, that we, we should be getting something from God. But this is the fact. The more we trust God, the godlier we become, and the more we rest in Him. The more we trust Him that He's good, the more that we trust Him that His gifts are good, the more we rest in Him, the godlier we become. The Sabbath is a holy gift, but here's the bad news. The Sabbath is also a rejected gift. Well, look at what they did. Verses 27 and 28. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And I'll I just admit it, I probably would have been one of those people. I know myself well enough to know that rest is not something I do well. I struggle. I struggle. This is a struggle for me to, to trust the Lord enough to say, now's the time to stop. I can't do anything else. I've got to be fixing something or I'm not. I don't feel like I'm worth anything. Any, once again, this would be the time for you to go, oh, I totally get that bread. You know, while going and getting in your car and driving home, our pastor has problems. right? But I think, I think there are people in that same boat, right? Where we're constantly looking at what, what needs to be fixed around me. What, what, what do I need to do next? How, how can I be useful? I mean, these people, they got up every day and they went and gathered manna. So it stands to reason that if I, if I get up on the seventh day and we need to eat, I'm going to have to go get manna. Right? That stands to reason. I can totally understand that way of thinking. Except God said, I'm providing enough on the sixth day so you don't have to go out on the seventh day. And this is what it comes down to. This is why we reject the gift of the Sabbath. This is why we reject rest. Because we think that our hard work produces bread. That we equate busyness with godliness. That we have made, not hard work, hard work is good. We're told to work hard. In fact, I would tell you work and work hard. Work as unto the Lord, not to please man, but to please God. We work because we have a God who has made us in His image and our God is a working God. So we should work. Paul would come and say, if you don't work, you don't eat. So work. Okay? But don't toil as if it's endless. Don't toil as if in order for you to have anything, you've got to keep working. So your God is the one who brings the fruit. Your God is the one who provides for your needs. But we reject the gift when we keep working. We reject the Sabbath by not trusting that He's provided enough for us. 
by toiling instead of worship and rest. We reject the Sabbath by our lack of obedience to His commands to rest. He commands them to rest. He says, don't go out. <laughs> Stay inside. And they go out and, and, and they try to gather. We should be keeping the Sabbath as a day to honor His complete sovereign reign over us. We reject the Sabbath by our self-reliance. That instead of praying, give us this day our daily bread, we say, hey, I need to go earn my daily bread. Please remember, this is my me begging, us, me included. We are in the wilderness. We can't grow bread. It's a gift. You can't produce good gifts. They're gifts from God. That's what makes them gifts is they come from Him and He is good. We are in the wilderness. We are wandering in the wilderness between the slavery of sin and death and the promised land of eternal heaven. And He has placed us here to teach us to trust Him. Oh, that we would learn that lesson. Oh, that we would grab hold of that lesson. That the only way we get food is through the powerful provision of God. So we work hard because He has made us in His image as workers. We tend the garden of this world, but we also rest. One of my favorite parables in the New Testament is when Jesus says this. It's the parable of the sower, but not the one who goes and casts the seed and it ends up on different soil. It's the farmer who goes out and he he prepares the soil. right? Then he casts the seed. He sows the seed. And then it says this. And he, he goes to sleep and it grows and he doesn't know how. Well, that's pretty much farming in a nutshell. Right there. You work and then you trust God for the increase. And you rest in the one who made the soil and the seed and the one who produces fruit. I wonder how good are we at that? Are we resting in the fact that the only way we have fruit produced in our lives is by Him? How does, how does it grow? It grows by God. The Sabbath is a rejected gift, but today I want you to see, I pray that you will see that the Sabbath is a necessary gift. It's a necessary gift. We need rest because we were not designed to toil endlessly. We're not designed to live as if we're still under the curse of this endless toiling. When we have a Sabbath rest, it's meant to lift our eyes to the future realities of what God has promised us in Christ Jesus, that we can look at Jesus and we can say, there's my rest and I'm going to get rest for eternity. God is gracious in the wilderness to give us a taste of what we're going to get in heaven. Of what we're going to get when we get to the promised land. Like, just go back to the manna. Remember, they boil it, they bake it, and what does it taste like? Honey. Graham crackers. I've ruined Josh for life, okay? It tastes like... It tastes. It has a taste of honey. Right? It has a taste of honey. Where were they going? The land flowing with... Huh! Wow! Look what God did there! I'm going to give you a little taste of what's coming. I'm going to provide for you, but never keep, never take your eyes off of where I'm taking you. Understand that the Sabbath is exactly the same thing. When we reject the Sabbath now, we're losing sight. This is what He's promised us for eternity. Hey, so I ask you, are you going to work in heaven? Anybody? No? If you're going to work in heaven? You'll have jobs. You don't have jobs, you're just going to love your job. So, good news. You have jobs to do. We're, we're going to rule and reign, if nothing else. So, that's the job. Okay? 
We're going we're gonna to be in a new heavens and a new earth. It's going to be like the garden all over again. And we're going to be tending and we're going to be caring for. But there's not going to be any death. There's not going to be any decay. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be amazing. And we're going to tend and care for God's new heaven and new earth. And it's going to be great. And then we're going to sit under the shade tree and rest in Him. Amen. Are you looking forward to that? Does that sound awesome? Then take it. He's given it to you right now. Like, just stop. Just stop for just a second. Stop worrying about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough worries of its own. Do you hear him saying that to you today? Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. Do you not see the birds? Do you not see the flowers? See that your God loves you far more than he loves them. They're not toiling not worrying about where their next meal is going to come from. Take it. Take the rest He's offering you. He's giving you a taste of what's coming for eternity. We would but take it in faith that we would trust Him. This is what He's given us. This is what He's promising us. The Sabbath, this day of rest and worship, lifts our eyes to the rest that is coming as we gather to worship on the first day of the week, as we celebrate the resurrection coming together, think back. Jesus died on a Friday, which was the, anybody? Sixth day, He finished the work. And He laid in the tomb for the seventh. Rested from the finished work. To raise again on the first day of the week. And He welcomes us into the rest. He welcomes us in to His death and resurrection. That He welcomes us in to the rest found only in Him. Giving us a taste of what's to come. What's been promised, what's been secured, not by our work, but by the finished work of God in Christ. God reminds us of this rest in creation. That the people of Israel were going to be reminded of this Sabbath all the time, that this was supposed to be the new cycle of being God's people. See, it wasn't just the seventh day that they were supposed to rest. That wasn't their only Sabbath. It was every seventh year was supposed to be a Sabbath year. A day where you don't plant so that God can restore the earth and He still provides for your needs. They were slave, a year where slaves are being set free and debts are being forgiven. And every seventh, seventh year, it's a year of jubilee. To recognize that God is the king of creation. One day, one day we're going to be in in an eternal jubilee. (laughs) An eternal Sabbath. An eternal year of jubilee where we're gathered around the throne, resting in the light of His glorious grace, trusting Him, loving Him, and worshiping Him. So right now, Hebrews 3 would tell us, do not harden your hearts. Do not harden your hearts. Those of us, those who would not believe will not enter rest. Those who would not obey through faith will not enter this promised rest. But instead, the Word of God would tell us this. Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will make straight your path. 
The psalmist would tell us in Psalm 37, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust Him and He will act. Augustine tells us that this is how we're to live our lives. Trust the past. All, all of the times where you've trusted your own ability and not God. All of, all of the times where you've tried to provide for yourself instead of trusting God to provide. All of your self-reliance and all of your sin. Trust the past to God's mercy. Trust the present to God's love, that in His love He's providing for your every need, and I can trust Him today. Trust the future to His providence. Our God is sovereign, and He's working all things for your good. You can trust Him for that. So today, you may have come in and said, I wish Brad would give just one Sunday give us five ways to live a godly life. Here's what I would say. God's more concerned with your heart than He is your behavior. Because He understands the way He's going to change your behavior is through your heart. Trust Him. He'll give you a lot more than five ways to live a godly life. But it will be impossible for you to please Him without faith. So if you've come in here today and you said, I just wish I had like some practical ways that I could be happier. Oh, there's no other way and trusting Jesus. And trust Him. Because if you don't trust Him to be good, to provide for your every need, if you don't trust that His gifts are good, then every time you get a gift, you won't be happy. You'll just want a different gift. You say, I want to know how to, how to practically parent my children so that they grow up to be good citizens. I would tell you this. Hey, I want your kids to be good citizens too so they don't run into me in the road. I'm all for that. Like, I, want, I don't want to be afraid of your children either, okay? But good citizens of heaven will make good citizens of earth. Point them to Jesus that they would trust him. You're here today and say, I just I need help in my marriage and I, I don't know. I feel like I'm just in the wilderness of this marriage. Well, me too some days. My wife is awesome. But I'm an idiot. <laughs> and I recognize my need for Christ every day. And I also can recognize my wife and my daughters as good gifts from the Father who only gives good gifts. I'm going to trust Him that He's he's at work. You're sitting here and you're saying, I read in Scripture somewhere that I'm supposed to be submitting to my husband and he's supposed to be loving me like Christ loved me. I don't think he loves me like Christ loved me, so I'm not submitting to him. This is what I want you to know. If he's a believer and you're a believer, here's the good news for you. The same Spirit who's drawing you to submit is the same Spirit that's going to produce love in him. So trust Jesus for both of you. You see, behavior follows trust. Oh, that we would trust Him. Because His grace is amazing. And He's worth trusting. Father, I pray that today we would trust that the finished work of Jesus, the One who gave Himself for us, Your your Son that You sent to die in our place, that we would trust that grace, that we would trust Jesus as the bread of life and as our Sabbath rest. Lord, may we embrace this rest found only in trusting Jesus. We pray in His name. Amen. Would you stand with me as we...